Um, Our scripture passage this morning comes to us from Paul's uh, letter to the church at Rome from the 8th chapter. Romans 8 is one of my favorite chapters in all scripture. So I hope at some point this morning, as I said, you can use your bulletin for your devotional time. You'll take uh, Romans 8 as a little time of reading this week. There's some good stuff in there. And we're going to, there's good stuff, right? Okay, there you are. We're going to highlight a couple of those this morning as we turn to these affirmations. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. One of the things that, uh, that Joy and I uh, are really excited to do with couples is to introduce the five love languages with them and then share how those love languages can make an impact really in any relationship. Dr. Larry Crabb says that we all have five primary ways that, uh, or languages that we give and or receive love. We, we need all five, but each of us have a primary one. Each language, though, has some dialects and, uh, because people are so unique and beautiful. But the five categories are pretty consistent. The five love languages are physical touch, gift giving, quality time, acts of service, and words of affirmation. Some folks receive love one primary way, but they may give love another, from another group. Uh, for instance, I grew up in a house where gift giving was a big deal. And I love to give gifts. Don't get me wrong, I I really like getting them too, but (laughs) that's not my primary way. It's not the primary way that I receive. Uh, For me to really feel loved by someone, or particularly my family, uh, I want to spend time with them. When my family wants to be with me, man, I feel loved. I could conquer any army that's in front of me. When that's true. Several years ago, Joy and I were uh, regularly running together, uh, and, and Joy runs with, with tremendous ease. I, well, let's just say I plod along. <laughs> um, I breathe heavy, I lumber, I struggle, I'm kind of gross when I run. We ran a half marathon in Louisville together, and she practically pranced up this final hill while I was barely moving my feet. Um, Soon after that race, she got injured, and um, she injured her knee, and she had to stop for a while. And and during that time of her recovery, I kept running, and I kept getting faster, and and suddenly I started to handle hills a whole lot better. Well, eventually she came back to running, and she joined a a running group we were part of, and by then I, I had been running with a new partner who was really pushing me. 
But that day I chose to run, to run with joy, and I knew it was going to be difficult for her, and so I wanted to, to be with her. I wanted to start together. I was just really happy to be out there running again. But I could tell she was struggling. She was uncomfortable. So I, I started using those words that my coach had used with me. Uh, great job. You're looking good. Great form. I'm really proud of you. I'm really proud that we're doing this together. And when she needed to stop, we paused, we breathed, we stopped. At the end of that run, because I had been running so much more, my body was just getting warmed up when she was ready for a drink and recovery. <laughs> so we make our way inside to, to the church we were at, and, and she says to me, thank you, that was the best run of my life. And I thought, best run ever? What is she talking about? I said, that was, I felt goofy. She says, that was, you were so encouraging and affirming, and I really appreciate it what was happening. See, unknowingly, I was speaking Joy's love language as a, a word of affirmation. I felt like a big, huge dork saying these words as I run. I was way out of my comfort zone. But Joy felt affirmed and cared for. Do you know what I found? Even if affirmation makes you feel like a big dork, like it does me, either to give it or receive it, each and every one of us need it. We need an exclamation point, as Mark said, spoken over us. There's so much in our world that drags and tears us down. Cynicism is a national pastime. It's like our unspoken language that we all just know. It's, easy to, it's easier to be negative or to speak down to someone than it is to encourage and to lift up. Affirmation is an action of offering an emotional support and an encouragement. It's to give life. Isn't that amazing? Wow, to give life to give a heightened sense of value to another. To affirm is to declare your support, to uphold, to defend someone or some idea. Did you know that's what you're doing? You're affirming? Um, in our hymnals, we have these three affirmations. I call them the Pauline Trilogy. Um, they're taken directly from the words of Paul. This man who wrote 13 or has attributed 13 of the 27 books in our New Testament Half of the book of Acts is devoted to the missionary work of this one man. This one man who would bring Jesus to an entire Roman world. Paul's a giant in our faith story. But he was also a pastor who just loved people. He's a man who had an encounter with Jesus that changed everything for him and then for anybody else he encountered the rest of his life. The affirmations that we have in our hymnals. These Pauline three are direct quotations from Paul in our New Testament. These affirmations raise awareness and a focus for the church on a very specific issue. They lift us up as we recite them and they invite us to know something about, well, the people that we are. The affirmations can be found in the back of your hymnals at 887, 888, and 889. And they come from Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 15, Colossians 1, and 1 Timothy. And every one of them, all three, have one focus. Um, the creeds, uh, they're all Trinitarian. They, they talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They include beliefs on, on the church and several other key areas of our doctrine, our life together. But these three affirmations from Paul, they cover one topic. Do you want to guess what it may be? is Jesus. All three are relentlessly about Jesus. They make no apologies for singling him out. 
Now, because I'm a giant toddler, I see things like this and I just want to go, why? Does it shock you that I call myself a giant toddler? <laughs> nah. Why? It's my, fref- it's my favorite question. Why did these hymn writers include these three so very similar affirmations in our hymnal? There's a dozen other things that we could use help for as a body. Why not talk about church governance or any other number of hot-button issues? Why these three? Well, I think there's an obvious answer. They're here because Jesus is kind of a big deal. Correct? But I think it's more than just a cute answer. I think these are here whether intentionally or not, because we as a church need constantly to be reminded that Jesus is way more than what we can so easily settle for. Um, When we say Jesus changes everything, it means just that. The real presence of Christ in our lives will and must change everything about how we view and see the life around us. To paraphrase Anne Lamott, when Jesus dislikes the things you dislike, it may be that Jesus has been made in your image rather than you in his image. That's a hard word. See, I think we need these affirmations because I have found that we can get a pretty significant case of Jesus amnesia. And it happens really quick. It takes no time at all to forget that the Jesus that we meet in the New Testament, uh, well, gets confused with the Jesus of our own making, a Jesus of our own preference. And I like to think of this as a, a Jesus distraction. Does anybody else get really quickly distracted by something? Ooh, shiny, you know, squirrel, you know, one of those kind of moments. I think that happens with us in the church and with Jesus. Who's up for something fun this morning? Want to do something fun? Um, I want to look at some of the Jesus types that are popular in our culture. Now, I want to warn you, um, there's nothing sacrilegious here, so just breathe. I'm going to point your attention to the screen. 8.30 really struggled here, okay? (laughs) Can he do that? Yeah, I I can. Some of these images are really troubling. Some of them you're going to be familiar with. Let's look at this first one, okay? A little hard to see in here uh, because it's such a dark print, but I bet you've seen it. This is William Holman's uh, picture of Jesus. It's painted in the early 1850s. It has become one of the most popular Jesuses in all of the art. In all of art, Jesus is standing at the the door, knocking. It comes right out of Revelation 3. Do you know what I call this picture? This is Bearded Lady Jesus. Because Bearded Lady Jesus is dressed, it's a little difficult to see, but he's dressed in satin. and, And his hair is perfectly coiffed and smushed by the crown. He almost looks more like some regal Arthurian legend queen rather than the Jesus of Scripture. And sometimes bearded Jesus can take on a a spooky kind of not-quite-human look. Have you seen this image? Yeah, this is a familiar one. This is a lot of different places. And spooky Jesus uh, also can take on this image. In the 1977s, Franco Zeffirelli came out with Jesus of Nazareth. Have you seen that one? Man, the trouble with that movie, as good as it is, is Jesus just kind of floats around like a ghost the entire time. It's really disturbing. Um, He kind of has this otherworldly look on his face. Um, He's definitely not from around here, this Jesus. This Jesus uh, kind of has this uh, (laughs) ethereal look to him. And spooky Jesus or ghost Jesus often morphs into Aryan Jesus that I grew up hanging in our living room. 
Um, this is the Jesus with that white robe and blue stole from a minute ago, oftentimes with super blonde hair and blue eyes. Occasionally he's got brown hair, but often he's just this really serene kind of looking figure who doesn't look like he fits because we're trying to make him look and fit. Well, that gives rise, making him fit, to Jewish Jesus. Um, Jewish Jesus, let's face it, he was Jewish Jesus. So probably looks a little bit more like this, except he's very marshmallow white in this one. Um, but that can also give us the, the African-American or the black Jesus. It can give us the, the Hindu Jesus or the, the Gandhi Jesus. Um, they also, in Latin America, can give us the Jesus who's a revolutionary, meek and mild, as if. And from these Jesuses that were comfortable one, then we go into the Jesus of the culture. Well, this Jesus from Newsweek, well, that's somebody that everybody's kind of cool and hip. Um, this Jesus isn't so cool and hip, but at least he's got an iPhone. <laughs> of course, you can have a it's cool to love Jesus kind of image. Then there's the Jesus is my homeboy. Little, okay. This one was everywhere for a while. Buddy Christ, I'm in your hearts, changing your lives. And, and these kind of cool Jesuses or fun Jesuses give way to the weird Jesuses. We got Jiu-Jitsu Jesus. Um, this one just is just off. Ninja Cyborg Pirate Jesus. He's got no mercy, you know. It's just weird. And, and, and some of these then get to a Jesus. The laughing Jesus was a big deal for a while. And I got to tell you, those teeth weird me out. <laughs> My orthodontist would be really proud of that, but whoa. Of course, you can also have rippling muscle Jesus who comes down off of the cross like the Terminator or something. And then, of course, you got tattoo Jesus who's just really cool and a little dreamy, quite frankly, frankly. <laughs> And to all of these Jesuses that are these caricatures out there, I think my favorite's this one, and it's Facepalm Jesus, who's just had enough. <laughs> now, some of these are really off, right? Make us a little uncomfortable. But in each and every one of them, there's a little bit of truth. Um, there's an image that's good, and, does, and it points us to a figure who's changed the world. And Jesus is the most intriguing figure person to have ever walked the sod. He was a rabbi and a sage. He is the turning point of history. He's the light to the world. He is the king of kings and the prince of peace, the bridegroom of our soul, universal man, liberator, poet, savior, and a whole lot more. And routinely we read of people having these encounters with Jesus, including his disciples, when they, they just shake their head going, what kind of man is this? Philosopher Voltaire said that God made us in his image and we have returned the favor over and over again. That's what these caricatures are. When Jesus looks like we do, we've slipped into the position of stripping Jesus of who he really is. In the Gospels, Jesus is a, a radical. He was called a glutton and a drunkard, but also a teacher whose love of God was alarming and beautiful. Jesus was demanding and he was compassionate. His words calmed storms and they... Well, they caused other storms in the religious order. One of the chief reasons for trusting the Gospels, at least for me, is their all-too-real description of who Jesus was. The Gospel writers give us every bit of who this man was. 
C.S. Lewis nailed it in the Chronicles of Narnia when Mr. Beaver is asked about the Christ figure. Aslan. Aslan is a lion. And Lucy, the daughter of Eve, this child says, well, is Aslan safe? And Mr. Beaver responds, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He is the king. And it is here that we need to return to Paul because Paul in this trilogy of affirmations gives us a good look at this good king, Jesus, who is not safe, but who is also way more than these caricatures on the screen. In our scripture passage, the first thing we read about is this Jesus is full of love, a love that is massively undervalued. Oh, we know the love of Jesus. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. But what kind of love is that? Is it a cuddly kind of love that kisses our boo-boos when we have a bump? If so, no wonder why, there's no wonder why so many of us are so, so tired and bruised. Now, the Jesus kind of love is something, as we read in Scripture, that's a fierce kind of love. It's a love that holds us tight when all hell is breaking loose. Did you hear that? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword separate us from the love of Christ? The answer is a resounding no. There's an exclamation point there. Because of his love, we're more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from this passionate love that he is willing his best in us to know. Angels or demons or death or life or present or future or powers or height or depth or anything else. Nothing in all all creation can separate us from it. Y'all, if that doesn't fill you with a little bit of passion, with a little bit of, yeah, let's go. As my pastor in Florida used to say, if that doesn't light your fire, then your wood's wet. I don't know what will. That's a kind of boost that we all could use, isn't it? It's a love that is strong and fierce and still holds us when everything bad that could go wrong is going wrong. Ollie woke up the other night when a storm came through and and he was scared. He was standing outside of his door and he was crying. And Joy had this aching back and she goes and she picks him up and she holds him close. Last night we were on the couch and we hear in the monitor, Daddy, I go upstairs and I go up there and he's scared. And Do you know what Ollie's looking for? He'll say, Daddy, hold me. Or, Daddy, hug. Is he, he's not seeking just some kind of soft consolation. What does he want? He wants the arms of his dad. He wants the arms of his mom wrapped around him saying, it's okay. You can, you're safe. In this affirmation 888, we get a whole nother picture of Jesus. It's almost a list. A list of who and what Jesus has done. He's the anointed one, the Christ, the messianic king, who, this conquering figure. We're reminded of Jesus' deeds, that he died. He was buried. He was raised. He appeared to a huge crowd of folks. He's the heir of creation and the first, as Eugene Peterson says, that's going to lead a resurrection parade. Do you know there's a parade coming in your future? When you pass from this life into the life that is yet to come, you join a parade, a resurrection parade. He's the one in whom all things are created and all things are held together. He's the one where the fullness of God dwells. Nothing is cramped or or out of whack. He's the head of the church. This body of believers to whom he is offering reconciliation, 
The reconciliation of all things to God. God is taking back what is his in the person of Jesus. And if we're missing anything else, we got the third one, 889, that says Jesus is the mediator who comes to save sinners and whose work is the mystery of the gospel. His life lived now in the throne room of the universe is the glory of all that is. And his, he's come to ransom you and I to rescue and restore the brokenness in us. To put us back to our natural created order as children of God. And these affirmations, they're not in this hymnal uh, for giggles or to placate some kind of theological police force. They're there to remind each and every one of us of, of who he is and who we are because of him. This is Jesus, not those distractions on the screen. The distractions try, they attempt to make Jesus approachable or knowable and in some cases uh, safe for church work. But the Jesus of Scripture, the Jesus that wants to be known by you and by me, to to you and to me, is lovingly rescuing his children to take part in the family business. This Jesus is a wild Messiah. Those pictures, many of them are a part of a false narrative. Or at least they, they contain just enough to take the true story of Jesus and freeze it in one little picture. Jesus is so much more, beloved. He wants you to know him not as a caricature on a screen. He wants you to know him, to be drawn close to him, and to be unmade of all of our own false masks, our hurts, our our habits, our hang-ups. Beloved, when we look into the face of Jesus, it is an invitation to the console of our souls, the healer of our brokenness, that the holiness of God unmakes all of our poor attempts to strip him down to something less. To look at Jesus is to stare into the mystery that changes everything. To hear and affirm or state these words is to acclaim a truth that can settle our deepest fears, redeem our lost identity. I mentioned at the beginning of our worship service this morning this quote from James Bryan Smith, one of my favorite authors, a United Methodist pastor, who says this about Jesus and how his work impacts you and I as followers of Jesus. You are one in whom Christ delights and dwells. You live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God, the kingdom that is not in trouble. And that means neither are you. This wild and incredible Messiah dwells in you. But did you catch that? He likes you. Not what you can do. He likes you. He delights in you. And you live in his kingdom, not the kingdom of politics or health scares or financial crises or whatever else that distracts you. You live in his unshakable kingdom, and it's not in trouble. And if that's true, then your stuff is already known by him. And you're not in trouble either. So if that doesn't invite you this morning to a new level of, I got this week, I got it. Then I want to invite you to stand a little taller this morning. 
I want to invite you, church, if you're able to stand with me for a second. That's not in the bulletin. Do it anyways. <laughs> in our hymnals, these words are spoken over us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And the response to that is this. No. Say it. No. For in all things, you, we, are more than conquerors through the one who loved us. We are sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation be able to separate us from the love of Christ, for the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If that's good news to you, can you say this? Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are so much more than a caricature on a screen. You are the God who invites us, um, wow, to go out into a world that's broken, fully alive and fully armed with the knowledge of who you are. A group of people surrendered to the fierce love of our Savior. A group of people who are so in love with the Savior that we want to give it away to those who are broken and lost around us. So Holy Spirit, on each and every one of us gathered in this room, I ask you, pour your Spirit on us in a new and fresh way. May we live, leave this space this morning empowered to love, to know you, and to take you wherever we go. We love you, we honor you, and we give you thanks, for it is in the name of Jesus that we offer this prayer and our very lives. And all who agreed with this prayer said, Amen.